Hello, and welcome to the Building Your Path podcast. This podcast records the stories of those who have achieved their own form of success in their respective fields. Today, we have Ms. Jessica Bacall, the author of The Rejection That Changed My Life and editor of Mistakes I Made at Work. She is also the director of Reflective and Integrative Practices and of the Narratives Project at Smith College. Please enjoy. All right, hello, and uh, thank you very much for being on the podcast with me today. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. And so what would be your definition of success? My definition of success is, um, at work at least, is is doing something meaningful. And it doesn't, um, you know, it's definitely like making enough money to support oneself and to have the things that... Um, that you've prioritized in your life. If you have ki- um, kids and you want to send them to college, for example, that can, you know, um, that like would contribute to your, your feeling of success of like being able to send them. Um, but I mean, for me, um, I think it's, it's doing work that that's meaningful. I see. And so um, what is it most, I guess, that you like about what you do? Well, um, I really like working with college students. And um, at Smith, um, there's a couple of, I'm the director of reflective and integrative practices. And over time, my work has evolved. But one thing I've really loved is um, uh, leading this program called First Gen Out Loud, which is a digital storytelling program for first gen students. And I have just, um, I love being with the students. We have regular dinners and I really love hearing their stories. You can actually find them at, um, if you Google Smith Narratives Project, a bunch of the stories are online. Um, and I, I also am loving teaching this class. It's a new class at Smith called Designing Your Path. And I helped develop it. And um, it's really about helping students to figure out what's most meaningful to them at college and how they might you know, experiment with ways to bring that into the world. And um, I've really been enjoying teaching it, but also like iterating on it, like figuring out like, okay, what do I want to do differently next time? And, um, and talking about it with other people who are going to teach sections of it and, and gather their ideas too. What do you think is the importance of, you know, really, as you say, like designing your path and finding your path? I think... Well, what we say to the students in the class is that even though it's called designing your path, they're actually, the class is more an introduction to a habit of reflection because, you know, your, your path, there's a lot of potential paths for everyone. And, um, you know, the paths we're on work and life, they evolve over time and, you know, who we are evolves. Um, But what I like about this class, um, and it's actually based on a, um, some work done at Stanford, some of the exercises are, um, is that we invite students to consider, like, think about what's most important to them, and then what are three potential ways they could carry that forward, whether, you know, in at Smith or beyond. And so it's like that when we say design, it's really like, how might you think in a kind of flexible way about the different um, directions you could go with this and and then how could you how might you experiment I see and in your position in your college you know did you come up with this idea in high school you know how was your high school career trajectory I never knew in high school well first of all this job didn't exist when I was in high school and I think that's the case for a lot of people like 
right now, you know, the, um, for people in high school and college, you know, you're going to end up doing jobs that actually don't exist right now. Um, that don't exist yet. Um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I mean, I, I always loved to write and read. I liked kids. Um, I liked having fun. I mean, I, I really didn't know uh, what I wanted to do, but you know, I think in a certain way, because I was so kind of like not sure what um, I was into when I got to college, it's helped me be able to like relate to students at Smith who might not know what they want to do. And um, whereas if I was someone who who came with like a very certain notion of what I wanted to study, I might like relate less. Um, although, you know, I think that um, even if someone has felt very certain during their time, at, you know, in high school and college about what they what they want to do with their lives professionally, like it doesn't mean they're not, they don't like struggle at some point. So I think we all reach these like forks in the road and, and like deal with ambiguity and questions in our careers. Um, and so the, the class is really a practice of like an introduction to a practice of, of um, like managing that ambiguity. I see. And so I guess, you know, throughout college, what are some, I guess, defining moments of rejection? Because, you know, that's what your books all encompass. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I definitely, um, have a few that stand out. So, uh, when I got to college, I, uh, I auditioned to be in the dance company cause I had done a lot of dance in high school and I didn't get in. And I remember that, um, even though I loved dance and I had been kind of excited about dance at college, I just stopped after I didn't get into this company. I just, I never went back and took a dance class. I didn't re-audition. Um, and it's funny because when I was graduating, literally like on the day of my graduation, I ran into the professor who was the head of the dance department, this woman, Mary Easter. And she said to me, oh, good to see you. Congratulations. And then she said, oh, we never got you back to do dance with us. And I thought like, oh, I guess I, I didn't have to see that as the kind of closed door that I had seen it as. Like it, it was really eye-opening to me in a weird way. And um, yeah, like I just, and <laughs> sometimes I, I um, tell that story to students. Like, I don't know if, if I think maybe students are a little more brave than I was, or like a little more like, um, like, but I don't know. I mean, I think it is the kind of thing, like when you're young, you think like one rejection just means like, oh, there's no way I could do this. And it's hard to see your way around. Um, another rejection, well, and this is something probably a lot of people can relate to is just getting a really bad grade. Um, my mom was a psychologist when I went to, she, had, she actually went to grad school late. She became a psychologist late and I was interested in psychology. And I took the intro course um, and I really didn't do well. Like, and I remember there was one particular test where I got like a, um, a, maybe a D and I went and I was shocked and I went and talked to the professor. Um, and I remember sitting in his office, like going over all this stuff that was all very like much about neuroscience and the optic nerve and all these things that didn't, um, resonate with me as like I want I thought psychology was going to be about like feelings and um uh it was less about that at this at that juncture um and 
I was crying in his office and I felt so ashamed that I was crying. And I, I think I was crying because I just felt so ashamed of having gotten that grade and like just sitting with him and having him know that like that I got this grade and it, I think I probably thought it meant I was stupid and um, I just felt so demoralized. And, you know, now I know since I work at a college that a bad grade does not mean you're stupid, that um, plenty of people get bad grades and there's all kinds of ways to like work toward doing better, like all kinds of people on campus to help you with uh, uh, tutoring and, um, you know, different kinds of centers, math centers and writing centers. And, and you can like, really, students really do turn it around. Um, but I did not with psychology. I just like was really avoidant after that. I never took another psych class. Um, and it's, and I also was embarrassed to even see that professor, which is also a shame because like, you know, I happen to know students cry in professors' offices all the time. It's like a totally normal thing. And professors are not shocked when, when students do that. Um, yeah. And so, um, I wish I had known not to feel so embarrassed and not to feel like, like that was the end. Did you have a clear path of what you wanted to do for a career in college or were you still trying to discover things? I definitely did not have a clear path. I, when I graduated, I, I knew that I was interested in writing and in kids. And I actually got a um, job as an editorial assistant at Parents Magazine. Um, and I thought maybe I'd, I'd be in that world, but um, it felt, I guess it felt less meaningful than I wanted it to feel. And so I ended up, um, I thought maybe what I really should do was become a doctor. As a kid, I'd always been interested in like reading um, first aid books and like I had imagined being a doctor and I thought, okay, if I, if I became a doctor, I could feel really confident. I'd feel really good about myself. I would have a lot of respect and I would get to, I'd be working with kids. And so I imagined I'd go take post-bac classes and I, um, I volunteered at a pediatric emergency room to kind of get a sense of, of what it would be like. And then I also um, went and got a job for a working for a pediatrician uh, in New York. And I thought like, okay, this is the beginning of this path toward you know, applying to post-bac programs and taking the classes I would need to apply to medical school. Um, I ended up, well, I didn't like the doctors. <laughs> they, they, I, they, they treated their employees, I thought really badly. Like they just, I just didn't like them as people. Um, and it really turned me off. I, I also kind of, um, I, I felt like, you know, the kids who are here are often like screaming, like they're toddlers. They're literally screaming. They do not want to be here. And if I want to be with kids, maybe I want to be with kids who aren't like ready to run away from me and like can't wait till they get away. Um, and then I, so I, I ended up leaving that job um, and I, I went and got uh, some work as an assistant uh, in a private school working at, with a teacher. And that felt more like the right path. And um, I took a graduate class in education. I liked that. And I, I stayed on that path for a while and I did become a teacher um, in New York City for several years. What do you think is the most important thing to keep in mind, you know, when you're going through different jobs, you know, at the beginning of your career and just trying to figure out what you want to do? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, 
I think like, it's important to think like, even if I hate this job, uh, is there something I, I'm good at, even though, you know, even though I hate it, because often that, that can help you assess like, what are your skills? Um, like maybe even though you hate a job at, you know, any, wherever, like a copy place, or, you know, maybe you're really good at, at being responsible. You're maybe you're really good at cooperating with your peers and you're punctual. And um, so there, I think you can, you can get a good sense of skills. Um, and you also, I think can, um, when you don't like, even if you don't like a job, um, I think of course that's useful data. Like, okay, I, you know, I, I worked at a magazine. I, I liked it, but I didn't, I, I felt like it was not immediate enough. It wasn't enough like with people. And I think that was probably important information for me to take. Um, and it, it's gradually led me to what I do now. So I think, I, you know, identifying what you like, what you don't like, um, and not, not seeing like kind of a, a miserable job as like a failure or, a, but more as like, okay, this is a piece of like this, this, like, it's a piece of a puzzle. It's like a piece of me, like figuring out what am I into and what am I good at? And so I know you decided to go on and pursue graduate education. So what was your thought process leading up to that? You know, were there any, you know, tosses and turns? How did you get there eventually? So, you know, that doing my degree, my um, writing, I'm not the um, education degree felt like it made a lot of sense. Uh, because I was teaching and it felt like, okay, this is a degree where I can like, after this, I can have a job, I can be a teacher and I can have a, you know, have a salary and have retirement, um, a retirement fund. But a bunch of years later, I got ready to leave teaching and go back and get an MFA in writing because I've been doing so much writing um, over the years. Um, and I thought I could, if I just did a lot of tutoring, I could support myself. Um, while I was in, in the MFA program. And my parents were like, why are you doing this? Like, doesn't, doesn't really, can we talk about it? It doesn't really make sense. And I remember being really um, mad at them and like mad that they didn't understand that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and, and, you know, that they weren't supporting me or, um, but I think it's understandable, like now in retrospect, like, it's true. You don't, when you get an MFA, it's not a, a degree that it is a terminal degree and that it, it should allow you to, to teach um, at some places, but it's not, um, you know, it's not like going to business school or law school or even um, a grad, a grad program in education. Um, but I, I really loved it. Like I, I loved um, having that life of, of allowing myself to have so many hours to write. I mean, I really set up my life to make the, most of that program. And I would like go to the library and write for like several hours a day. And, um, and then I, in the afternoons, I would, I would tutor kids in New York. And if you live in, yeah, where I lived, you can, you could make money doing that. Um, and so like, I don't know, that was the right thing for me at that time. I'm glad I did it, even though like, yeah, it didn't like lead to getting hired, <laughs> um, as a, I don't know what you would get yeah, as a writer, you know, but I, um, but in a certain way, like that, I think that that experience and the experience of my, my grad program in elementary ed, like both contribute to my being able to do the work I do now, um, developing the course that I teach at Smith called um, Designing Your Path. 
I mean, I think it's all contributed to where I am now. And it's, it's just like, there's no way I would have known that that it would con contribute to this. You know, I just didn't, I didn't know this is what I'd end up doing or that I would end up writing the, you know, developing these books. Like I thought I was going to like write short stories or maybe a novel and the books that I ended up publishing, one is about mistakes at work and one is about um, rejection. And it's like when I, when I decided to write my first book, I had just gotten a job at Smith. Um, and I was really like, what can I do that will let me keep writing, even though now I'm going to have this full-time job? And like, because I had started out part-time and I thought, okay, I'll work at Smith part-time and I had a baby by then and I'll, I'll write. But then I, it went to full-time and I needed the money and I, you know, I thought I should take this opportunity to be full-time, but like, how was I going to write also? And what I ended up doing is I thought, like I came up with this idea, I'd had this, actually I'd had this experience applying for this, this was my, so my, my first uh, book is about mistakes and I'd gone through this whole hiring process to get this, my, my first big job at Smith. And um, I felt like I'd made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I'd also just like made a lot of mistakes in general, just like switching over from being an elementary school teacher to working at a college. like. I did things like uh, we were <clears throat> inviting a guest speaker uh, to talk and I like offered her too much money and then we couldn't like rescind it. So like we had to pay her the $10,000 that I'd offered her and it was like most of our budget. I mean, big mistakes. And I thought like, oh, I wonder if I could interview people about their work mistakes and that would be a way to, or it was gonna be essays originally actually. I wonder if I could have people write essays about work mistakes and that would be a way to keep my toe in the writing world um, while doing this full-time job. And, and that's really how these books started. And it, 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 did, it ended up getting sold to a publisher and um, who wanted me to do the interviews and write them up instead of asking people to write essays. And so it just ended up, um, yeah, this is a circuitous way of saying that, you know, coming to Smith, I, I wasn't sure what my, my job would be. And I wasn't sure, um, you know, I just started this very ground level place and I really, um, I wasn't sure how writing would figure into it. So it seems that you took, you know, a lot of plants that you weren't sure of, you know, the people around you weren't really supporting you in your decisions. But it seems that, you know, in the end, you know, you are where you wanted to be and, you know, you're satisfied. So maybe what would be some uh, advice you'd give for people who are, you know, maybe receiving pushback for their decisions or, you know, are confused or just trying looking around and trying to find, you know, where they belong? Well, I think that um, it's great to, like, have a group of people you can really talk to like or at least one close friend who you can talk to about like what you're thinking about your life and people you know someone who's not your and maybe it's a teacher someone who's not your parents although parents can be helpful too um and I think you know in those in the conversations like allowing each other to like be imaginative and like imagine potential paths um and like do these what ifs and not just like shut yourself, shut down, um, you know, ideas that you have. Um, there's a great, uh, Stanford actually has a whole, uh, a book based on their designing your life course called designing. Yeah. Called designing your life. I have it here. Um, and that's like a great, um, 
book that you can, you, they have a workbook too, and you can do it with friends. Like, you know, I think that, um, that the twin, the, the being in college and being in your twenties is like a really tumultuous time. And it's like, people don't realize how hard it is and how much pressure young people feel, um, to like, to like have a plan. And, and, and it, it, I feel like you can have a plan, but you know, things also get in the way of plans and like, it's important as we've seen in COVID to like learn to deal with ambiguity like you, and uncertainty. Like you're not always gonna know like what the next step is um, even within the context of having a plan. And so um, I, yeah, I think having like a person who, who you can talk to and get some support from is, is helpful. And so, you know, your path led you to teaching and you said through teaching, is this when you decide to apply for your doctorate? Well, so I, um, I was teaching kids in New York and then um, I had a baby and my husband and I decided to move up to Massachusetts uh, from New York because uh, my husband's from Massachusetts and I got a job at Smith and it was very part-time. Um, and over, over the years, it evolved into a bigger and bigger um, role. And, you know, in part because I, I had these mentors that I really loved. I, when I was hired, I was hired by this woman who was the Dean of the college and another woman who was the Dean of religious life. And I just really loved talking to them. I loved our meetings, our conversations. I felt really inspired by the work that we were doing to help students think about their own life choices. And I guess in part, because I had so many, so much confusion with my own life choices. Um, and my you know, ideas about what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and, um, and then at a certain point after a number of years, I thought, oh, it could be good to get a doctorate. And a bunch of people said, people who were kind of um, trying to be, to mentor me said to me, you should maybe think about getting a doctorate. And it's just partly because of that world um, of higher ed, it's, it's useful. Um, in terms of having some mobility, like, you know, when jobs come up, sometimes they're listed as requiring a doctorate. Um, so it wasn't something, so, so I, I applied for a, a program at Penn um, because it, it seemed like something I could do while I was, while I was um, working. I could go one, one weekend a month and then during the summer for two weeks. And it was like three years of that and you have a cohort. And I thought this is the perfect program and I applied and I was rejected. Um, and at that point I thought like, okay, this just isn't for me, I'm not gonna do this. It was a, it was, um, a Penn program. So I would have had to travel from Massachusetts to Philadelphia, which is about, it's like a six hour train ride. Um, and it just felt like, okay, it's too much anyway. But, and a little bit like that was defensive. Like I don't want to like have to apply again, get rejected again. I don't want to even think about them again because they rejected me. Um, but I was out to lunch one day with colleagues and um, my friend Julio said, you know, you should just reapply. It's people do this all the time. They get rejected from schools and they have, they reapply. And so I did. I said, I decided I was going to reapply for grad school I applied to UMass and Penn, that same Penn program. And I actually was rejected from the UMass program this time, but I got into Penn and I went. Wonderful. And so maybe what were some other, you know, big rejections in your life? Like what, I guess, what really inspired you to write your book? Yeah. Um, so after I got that doctorate, I 
was feeling pretty good. And I, I had been working at Smith for a while. I had published a book on uh, mistakes at work and I'd had, I was running a center that was pretty successful and, you know, popular students came to us uh, to all different kinds of programs, but um, there was a reorganization at the college and um, in that reorganization, um, my center became something else and I, there was going to be this new leadership center that um, my supervisor encouraged me to apply to run. Um, and I felt almost like I had to because I had to apply because I wanted to like prove to prove to the college and prove to myself that I could do it like it or prove to someone. Um, and so I applied for this, this new, you know, bigger job running this major leadership center. And it was really like, I really had to put myself out there because I was like at the place where I work. So I got recommendations from colleagues and I had to do a big public talk in front of colleagues. And I had to, um, you know, I wrote a big uh, three letter, uh, three page cover letter with my vision for this center. Um, and I was very, very nervous. Like the whole time I was kind of super stressed out this one day I went, I hired a speaking coach to help me with my job talk. And on the day I met with her, you know, I, met with her and then I drove to campus and parked my car and went to work. And when I came back to my car, I'd left it running all day because I was just so, um, I was so stressed and distracted. Um, and then I found out I didn't get the job. Um, someone else, they gave it to someone else. And when they told me, I felt like kind of disappointed and humiliated because everyone would know that I had tried really hard for this thing that I didn't get. But I also felt um, some relief, like, and you know, that if I didn't get the job, it meant I wouldn't have to do the job. And I felt like that relief was maybe um, important information. And, and it made me wonder if um, maybe rejection stories would be an interesting thing to hear from other people. And I, that's what was the impetus for uh, for my new book, uh, The Rejection That Changed My Life. And, you know, in your book, you talk about a concept called, you know, post-traumatic growth. Could you expand on that a little bit and explain, you know, what that, you know, idea comes from, what it means? Sure. Um, so that's an idea from psychology. And um, it, it really is about how, you know, after going through something traumatic, um, which can be a rejection, but, you know, the, any kind of trauma, um, we can experience a certain kind of like af after we've dealt with it and after it's over, there can be positive things and growth that come that emerge. So, um, for example, I'm thinking about with COVID, you know, there's really been um, kind of an upheaval in the way we think about work. So it was kind of traumatic for for everyone to have to like redo the way they did, you know, rethink the way they did high school, college, you know, their jobs. But now that we are um, hopefully like getting toward the other side of COVID, there, there's kind of a rethinking about what work can look like. And, you know, maybe, um, maybe there's more room for people who are disabled, for example, in the workforce who can't be, you know, on campus uh, or on, uh, you know, on site at, um, at, uh, at their jobs and maybe there's more room for flexibility for parents um, or people who are caregivers. So um, 
I think that's a kind of growth and a kind of post-traumatic growth that we hopefully will be experiencing. And what would maybe be, you know, um, a standout example from your book that you feel like you really resonate with? Well, one of my favorite stories from the book um, is uh, the story that Angela Duckworth tells. So Angela Duckworth, people may be familiar with her work. She's a psychologist at Penn, and she um, came up with the um, the concept of grit, and um, which, you know, is kind of this, um, there's a grit scale, like a way to kind of people, you can test yourself to see how gritty you are, like, and it's about perseverance and how much you're able to kind of persevere in the face of difficulty. And so I was really like astounded when I was interviewing her and she told me, she said something like more tears have gone into my husband's shirt collar than you could imagine, you know, and just like thinking of this researcher on grit crying um, after a rejection, you know, but after, you know, getting many rejections and crying and being really upset, like, so it just made me feel like, okay, being gritty or persevering doesn't mean that we don't feel our feelings and feel bad and feel sad and even cry. Um, look at Angela Duckworth, she cries when she gets rejected, but uh, so it made me feel like, you know, in many of the interviewees said this, that like you have to feel your feelings before you can be resilient and persevere and, um, and experience potentially post-traumatic post growth, you have to let yourself feel your feelings. What would be maybe some advice you'd give for someone trying to get into the academic field? Hmm. So as a professor or as a just like, what, uh, or just working at a college? Academia, college, anything from your experiences. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, like, I think one thing I've learned is there are really these separate paths for people um, who work at colleges. So there's, there's the staff world, and then there's the faculty world. And people who become professors are in this faculty world, and they've gone to, they've gotten doctorates in their field, and then they've published, you know, in academic journals. And um, really like gone through this like gauntlet of, of tests um, and then gotten secured these jobs in this really hard um, market. It's really hard to get a job as a professor these days um, in, pr in probably like almost any field. Um, and then there's this other world of like people who work in like student affairs, student life, career services. And those are people who may or may not have doctorates, but who you know, are interested in working with college students. So people who work in student life um, are, um, may come from different fields. There are, you can study, you know, um, in graduate programs, you know, higher ed, but it, I don't think it's something that, that you have to have studied in order to get one of these jobs. Actually, I have a, a recent um, grad from Smith who worked with me in First Gen Out Loud is working um, in admissions at Harvey Mudd. And part of the experience that she talked about in her interview was having done all this work um, with first-gen students at Smith, and they were looking for someone to, um, to be kind of speaking specifically to, to potential um, to students who are interested in Harvey Mudd who were first-gen themselves. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a weird 
world. I think what I like about being in higher ed is like you're around a lot of smart people having what feels like, what feel like um, important conversations, like about how to help young people thrive and like do well, you know, if you're at a good institution. And I think that is, does feel meaningful. Like um, you don't feel like you're at like, <clears throat> um, like I just remember when I was doing freelance and publishing and like sitting in on these meetings that just to me felt meaningless. Like I think to someone else, they might feel like, oh, this is cool. I'm learning about publishing. Like it feels meaningful because I'm kind of like learning about this whole world. But for me, it was like, oh, we're, we're picking out the images for this math curriculum for first graders. Like it just wasn't exciting to me, but I, it is much more exciting to me to be in conversations where people are talking about and talking to college students. So, yeah. And what would maybe be some advice you just give for, you know, younger generations about, you know, just trying to find their path? Well, I think that um, it's a great idea to see yourself as a researcher and to really, um, you know, if you have an experience that a job, for example, that you, um, where you're trying something out, you know, really observe yourself. Like, what are the pieces of this that you enjoy? What are the pieces that you don't enjoy? If you're miserable, what are you still good at? Often that that's a good way to like start to really understand some of your skills. And then, you know, you can also research by asking, you know, finding people who are in fields that might interest you and asking them like, what's their job like? What's their day-to-day -day like? What, um, how did they get their training? And I think um, the more you can kind of prototype through like trying things out and then also like explore through interviewing, the more you learn. And, um, and then I think all, all through just like being aware that like rejection is par for the course and it's part of like developing your career and like it happens to everyone and um, it's okay to feel bad about it. But then like part of building a career is like learning, learning to keep going. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I truly appreciate you coming on today. Sure. I was happy to do it. I, I can't wait to listen. Wonderful. Thank you very much.